Hey, welcome to the Praise Chapel podcast. This message is from our senior pastor, Pastor Omar Lopez, in a message he's entitled, Come Back from Failure. Also, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, follow us at PC Paramount. Be sure to check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. It has tons of resources and information there. Enjoy this message. Praise the Lord. We welcome all of you. Glad you're here. Are you glad you're in the house of God today? I got to do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in the right place at the right time right now. I honestly believe that for all of you this morning, and uh, we just welcome everyone. We're glad you're here. Welcome those that are online today that are watching from home or wherever they're watching from. We appreciate you uh, getting online with us this morning. Again, uh, we're just glad you're here. We do have a special guest on Wednesday night. Uh, it's a powerful couple. They, they are evangelists out of Kansas City, uh, the Cure Church that's there. And we're going to have evangelist Jose and Angela Vargas are going to be here. You don't want to miss it. Uh, just a powerful couple. They work together and uh, they both minister. And uh, the Lord just really anointed them. And uh, she, uh, Angela especially, had the real prophetic gift on her, and so uh, I believe God will use her in a powerful way, so uh, you want to come on Wednesday night. We have a great time on Wednesday, I'm telling you, uh, and uh, just a wonderful presence of God, lots of people uh, that are able to come on Wednesday night, and uh, it's a celebration time, so be with us here uh, this coming Wednesday. I believe it'll be a blessing to you, and God will minister to you. Well, we're going to dive into this message. Is that all right? I've been excited about ministering this message. It's kind of been really heavy on my heart. Um, I'm going to read out of Proverbs 24, 16, and then I'm going to pray and believe God with you. Next, uh, next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called Allegiance. We're going to talk about who's our allegiance to. How many know our allegiance needs to be to God? Hallelujah. So we're going to talk about allegiance, true allegiance, and what it really means. And I believe it will really, uh, especially during this time and our culture and everything that's going on in our nation and our world, uh, people are looking for allegiance. And I believe our allegiance needs to be to God. And so I'm going to bring out the word of God and, and what true allegiance is. And I believe it will minister to you. It will give you some insight of uh, true allegiance and where it needs to be. So be with us uh, next Sunday as I minister on that. Uh, but this morning I'm going to minister on something that I believe will help you. I'm going to talk about coming back from our failure. Have you ever failed in life? Have you ever failed at something? Have you ever failed in a situation, relationship? I'm going to talk about that this morning, and uh, I believe it'll help you as we get into this message today. Uh, yesterday, there was a big gathering of Christians in Washington, D.C. Uh, they believe about 75 to 100,000 Christians gathered there. Uh, it was national repentance and uh, national and global repentance day and where the nation begin to repent uh, over our sins, over our uh, the direction that our nation is going in. And we're believing God that God's going to turn things around. And so I believe this message today will be in line with that uh, with that theme. And so I'm going to I'm going to read the word and I'm going to pray. Uh, this is not my text, but I believe it applies. Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. 
So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for everyone that's gathered here today, those that are watching online. I pray today that the word of God would go forth with power and anointing and that the Holy Spirit would anoint every word that I speak today. I pray that everyone today, God, would have an open ear and God would uh, open their hearts to the word and, and embrace it today. And God, it would bring transformation, not information. And I pray, God, that they would uh, hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. And so I'm going to be focusing out of Judges chapter 16. And it's one of the characters in the Bible that as you begin to read, uh, um, you, it's probably one of the most frustrating characters in all of the Bible. Uh, because you see a man that is gifted by God. You see a man that is anointed by God. You see a man that God has given him so much. And yet he fails time and time again with the gifting and the anointing and the grace that God puts on his life. And over and over we see in Judges uh, about this man and what he does. His name is Samson. If uh, most of you know or probably have heard the name Samson. But uh, Samson was actually called by God even before he was born. In fact, an angel announced that Samson would be born. And that he was to be set apart from all the rest. They called it the Nazarite vow. They weren't to cut his hair. He wasn't to uh, uh, ever touch any alcohol. All of these different things that God had required of this young man when he was born because he had a special call. It was supernatural and there was a special supernatural call on his life and he was highly gifted. And he was gifted because he was going to be a man that was going to help deliver the children of Israel out of their hands of the enemies, which during that time were the Philistines. And even though he was gifted, even though he had power, and even though uh, he had a divine calling over and over, Samson messed up again and again and again. And he was incredibly strong but dangerously weak when it came to his will and temperament. Might have been strong physically, but over and over he broke his vows. He began to chase uh, uh, the wrong women. He began to touch things he wasn't supposed to touch, drink things he wasn't supposed to drink, uh, getting bad haircuts. Well, in fact, he wasn't supposed to get a haircut completely at all. And you recognize early on as you begin to read the story and the biography of Samson, what you begin to realize is he was really emotionally driven. He was driven by his emotion. He was also driven by his gifting. He had a strong gift, and that was driving him, but he was not driven by the Holy Spirit. We're not to be emotion-driven or gifted-driven. We're to be spirit-driven. Can you say amen? And what I'm going to say today is I say this very strongly today because we have a lot of emotion-driven people, but not spirit-driven people. Got a lot of people that are emotionally driven because it's self-serving. And what about me and what I need and what I feel and what I want in my life? And you're going to see this in Samson's life. You also see many believers today that are very gifted-driven. Uh, uh, they have talent. They have abilities, but there's no accountability and uh, many become gifted failures. In fact, in Corinthians, the book of Corinthians was the Corinthian church, highly gifted church, 
highly gifted with all the spiritual gifts. But even Paul had to rebuke them because they didn't follow order or authority. And they followed their gifting rather than the spirit. So we see that most people are going to ruin their lives, especially as you begin to look at the life of Samson. They ruin their life, what, one step at a time. Most people don't ruin their lives all at once, but usually it's one step at a time. And we're going to watch this, guys. We get into this story of Samson, and we're going to pick it up here where he was supposed to be delivering the people of God. It was here where he was uh, supposed to be setting the people of God free, but instead uh, he's now a prisoner of the enemy. In fact, when you begin to read th this story, they have gouged his eyes out. And many commentaries believe, but before they would get kind of get kind of get gross here, but before they would gouge the eyes out, they would really put oil and burn the eyes out. And basically get something and get everything out. And there was nothing in the eye socket. And uh, they put him in shackles. I don't know if we got a picture. Uh, I think I submitted a picture here. And kind of giving you an idea of he was now blinded. He was in shackles. And now he's grind, grinding uh, the meal for the enemy. He's fastened to a big piece of wood that normally they would fashion an oxen to or an animal to to turn and to make the meal. But instead, they got um, Samson going in circles, pushing this uh, big piece of wood, uh, going in circles around and around. Uh, and basically, this man it is at the lowest of the low. And uh, they were beginning to mock him and talk about him. And this highly gifted guy is walking in a circle of failure. He is now being mocked by the enemy. And it's ironic that they gouged his eyes out because it was his eyes that got him in trouble a lot of the times. What happens to many believers is that our eyes get us in trouble many times. They say that your eyes are the windows to your soul. What you see and what you look at a lot begins to get into your spirit and begins to contaminate your heart. And so, especially in our generation today, we live in a generation where uh, we've seen the advancements of electronic gadgets in the media and all of these things. And I, be, I believe it's, uh, it, uh, many of our young people have fallen prey to the seduction of the enemy. And uh, you have all this electronic media and internet, uh, but it's really uh, sexually explicit photos and videos and language and windows that are going on. And it's right available to all of our teenagers and children. And you're putting that into the hands of your children. And it's, it's amazing to me that even the most righteous soul can become dark when you're looking at the wrong things. And so we see that Samson's life... One man that is so gifted, one man that is so anointed, one man that is so called, fails to do what God has called him to do. And look at his attitude here in Judges chapter 14, even before we get into 16 in his final days there. But this is kind of how Samson's attitude is throughout uh, the story. It says in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, uh, Samson went down to Timnah. And saw there a young Philistine woman. <clears throat> when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. 
Now get her for me as my wife. Hopefully you guys can put that scripture up there. And his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said, look at what he said, get her for me. She's the right one for me. He's not listening to counsel. He's not listening to any guidance. Uh, he, all he's looking at is what his own lust of his own heart, his eyes. He says, get her for me. In other words, uh, he wanted his parents to go down there and ask for her hand in marriage. He, he was adamant about it. Uh, he was demanding about it. He says, get her for me. She's the right one. I want her. But you're going to find out that, man, there is all kinds of women this man went after. He always said they was the right one. Think about it. Samson's parents knew exactly what God had called Samson to do. I mean, they, uh, you know, when you think of the circumstances, an angel proclaimed that he would be born and he was to have the Nazarite vow. So you can imagine what his parents, uh, they were hoping for their son. They were saying, man, God has great things for you, son. God has great plans for your life. You have a great destiny. And you can imagine that his parents shared that with him, that, son, if you do what's right, you'll see the blessing of God. How many of us parents want that for our children? You see your children, you see their uh, ability, you see what they're capable of, you see their potential, and you want the best for them. You're saying, man, if you'll just listen a little bit, you don't have to get in all kinds of trouble, right? See, when you know what God has for your child, man, you, you're broken when they go the wrong way. Some of you, man, you, I, I look at some of these children, and I remember, you know, when they were born, I remember what the parents went through. Some, some, of, your, some of your children, they were miracle babies. Some of, your, some of your children were sick, and you didn't know what was going to happen. Some of your children, God supernaturally protected them, and, you know, they didn't get in the accident. And, man, you're just praising God, and you're thanking God. And then as they're growing up, they're moving further and further away from God. You're saying, my goodness. God's had his hand on you. What are you doing? Why are you going that way? When you read, honestly, when you read Samson's story, you're like, man, you bumped your head, boy. What's wrong with you? You don't, you know, how, it's frustrating when you read his story. It's like, man, what are you thinking? I cannot believe you're going in this direction. And then to top it all off, the Bible says he's telling his, his parent, I want to go over here and, and, and get together with this girl here uh, in Timnah and then that city. And, and he's dating someone outside the faith. This is why we tell people, don't date somebody that's not saved. We tell them over and over, don't date someone outside the faith. Don't marry anyone outside the faith. You're looking for trouble. And sure enough, after they get in trouble, they go, Pastor, I said, I try to tell you. You know, they, I try to warn you. And, and, you know, we pray, we believe God. But what happens is that they don't listen. This is like Samson. He wasn't listening. He was going to do it his own way. And so later on, Samson, uh, uh, you know, that, that woman's gone. Now he's in the, in the lap of Delilah. How many have ever heard of Delilah. Most of us know the story. 
And the Bible says that she ends up, uh, I'll just get right to it, she ends up uh, uh, shaving uh, the, the seven locks of hair that he had because uh, he had long hair, and so uh, he was the first guy with dreadlocks, man. He has these seven dreadlocks, uh, and, uh, you know, you thought it was the style now or whoever when he, it was way back then, guys, I'm telling you. Everything just goes over and over anyway. You go, it's the style. That was style, you know, 20 years ago anyway. He has these dreadlocks, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're not to touch them. They're to be, he's not to cut his hair ever. They represent a standard. They represent a standard. Uh, these dreadlocks are not to be cut because it was part of the Nazarite vow that he was not to cut his hair. And, and I'm here to tell you, they represent a standard. But many of us this morning, when we compromise our standards with God, we're not locking out the devil. He's locking you in. And let me just tell you something. He was willing. He got deceived by the devil. But in actuality, he was willing to be deceived. So the first thing the enemy did, again, was to gouge out his eyes. Anytime you start compromising, you're going to lose your vision. Anytime you begin to lower your standard, you're going to be unable to see you're going to be like that servant with Elisha. Man, there's more. Uh, you know, there, we're surrounded by all the enemies. And, and Elisha said, open his eyes. There are more with us than are with them. So anytime you begin to compromise, you can't see what God is doing. You can't see opportunities. You can't see the goodness of God. You can't see the favor of God. You cannot see. You always think the grass is greener on the other side. You're going to find out that that grass is astral turf. It's not even real. It's fake. Grass is greener where you water it. Let me just tell you something. And the first thing that goes, he starts playing games with the world, and now he's laying his head in the lap of sin. You lose your vision that God has for you when you begin to compromise. He not only lost his vision, he lost his freedom. He didn't realize the freedom that he had in God. And so the Bible says now he's grinding uh, uh, this, uh, this meal for the enemy. He's going in circles. They have him in shackles. And he can no longer lift his hands. He no longer has the freedom. And let me just say to you that when you begin to compromise in your walk with God, the devil has shackled you. You can't lift your hands. You can't praise God in peace. You can't give God any glory. You become a spiritual zombie. Let me just tell you you that you lose your power to worship God and now listen to me he's making bread because uh, he, he basically again going around this meal he's baking bread for the adversaries he's feeding what he should be fighting when you compromise you are feeding what you should be fighting you're beginning to feed exactly what you should be fighting, and that's what he's doing. Now, this is the sign that the enemy has, has him in a defeated place, and there's a lot of people today. Listen to me today. You're, you're feeding things that you should be fighting. You're feeding some habits in your life. You're feeding some uncleanness in your life. You're feeding some things and stuff in your life right now that you were raised to defeat. You're supposed to try, be trying to defeat it, and now you're feeding it. The Bible said the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, right? All of these things, the, the lust of the flesh, all of these things, we're supposed to be defeating them, but somehow we're a generation that, that is starting to feed on that. 
See, what, you, what you're feeding is what you become. And this is exactly what happened to Samson. The Bible says uh, he's there and he's grinding and all this stuff. And they're making sport of him. They're making fun of him. They're mocking him. They're talking about him. And he's at the lowest place. And I can tell you there's some people right now, spiritually, you're right there. You're feeding what you ought to be fighting. And the Bible says that he's at this place. And you can imagine, I'm thinking about Samson right now. And I'm thinking about maybe he's saying to himself, well, I, I know he's saying to himself, I've blown it really bad. How many of us this morning, we said, man, I've blown it. You look back at some of the things that you did and you said, I wasted my life. In fact, you're embarrassed of some of the things that you did because there's some things you can't undo. They're already done. I'll say this, especially for men, some of you men out there today, you've done some things that you're very ashamed of. And for a man, for a man, uh, men take it different. I'm not saying women are, 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 are anything, else, you know, uh, what I'm saying is men are different when it comes to failure because when they fail at certain things, it becomes very, very, very personal to them. And women, they handle it differently, even though no woman wants to fail. But what I'm saying to you today is when a man fails at certain things, it takes, he takes it to a whole different level. Women and men are different. How many of you agree with that? I mean, just think about it. Ladies find value in different things. They find value in relationships. Women love to have relationship. You ever just get to know somebody and before you know it, the, the women, they're just talking about deep stuff. You just met that person. I mean, they're just like talking deep and talking about all these issues and, you know, illnesses and all these different, you go, my goodness, you know, and they just love relationship. You know, are we friends? You know, are we still BFFs? You know, you, you, it took 72 seconds to text me what happened. Are we okay? Can we hug? Can we cry? Can we love? All these different things. The, the one I never get is, let's go to the bathroom. And it's like three ladies go, I mean, what, what is it with the restroom? I've, I've heard different theories. You guys don't have to fill me in on it. Heard different, you know, sometimes there's things, you know, adjusting makeup, I guess, uh, gossip about something, I don't know, uh, wardrobe adjustments, I don't know, all kinds of different things could happen in the restroom, but like two hours later, they come back, they're all happy, and you go, my goodness, men are, men are not like that. How, how many men can say amen? I mean, we get value from relationship, but our value is from our accomplishments, did we win? Did we conquer? Did we achieve? And no guy ever says, hey, guys, you want to go to the restroom? We just don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what men do. Hey, guys, let's go to the restroom, you know. In fact, when guys in the restroom, we don't look at each other in the restroom. You look at the wall. When you talk, look at the wall. If you look at each other, you lose your man card. You're not supposed to do that. Hey, what's up? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, well, yeah, what's up? Yeah, what's going on? You know, you're standing next to each other. You're looking at the wall. You're not looking side by side. But that's another thing. It's all about respect, right? So what I'm saying to you today is, is, is again, men thrive on accomplishment. That's why I'm saying earlier today, when a man fails at something he failed to accomplish, it becomes very personal. In fact, let me tell you, man's greatest fear is failure, and his greatest pain is regret. 
And I've met a lot of men that uh, they live in regret. Our greatest fear is that we fail at something. We don't measure up. We're not successful. And it's a great, great pain. Men can fail in their sin and fail in their uh, lack of doing what they should have did. I've seen men today have some significant failure, and especially when it comes to marriage. Many men have failed when it comes to marriage. I'm not saying it's all the man's fault, but I'm saying to you, men have failed, especially when it comes to electronic. Can you imagine having to confess to your wife, the, the wife that has been devoted to you, the wife that gave you all these babies, and then you have to confess and say, I've been, I've been looking at pornography. I've been, I've been talking to this floozy girl at, at work. Are you with me? All of these things that men have to deal with. I'm not saying that there's, women don't deal with that. But I, I'm just saying to you that these things begin to uh, work in the lives and the hearts of people. Even women. I've seen women flirting with an old flame from high school. It's like they think they're going to get their high school years back. Honey, it's gone. Amen. That guy's a different guy. You're, you're going the wrong way. But I also have seen where men feel like failures because they, you know, they, they're, they're working a job that's beneath them. They're living paycheck to paycheck and maybe some of their friends are doing better than them. I've seen even men and women regret over divorce. I see some men say, man, had I just treated her better, had I just not been such a selfish jerk, I'd probably be with her today. It's not just outward failure, there's inward failure too. We made a promise to ourselves and we kept breaking it. We made a promise to God. We said, God, I'll never do this again and by Thursday, you're back at it again. Samson's story teaches us a number of things. Again, I'm talking about coming back from a failure, but I'm talking about the failure right now. I'm just laying it down because Samson had a lot of these failures in his life. He failed over and over again. Here's the great thing to know, and I want to give you some hope here. Failure is not a person. Failure is an event. Just because you failed and just because you've messed up, however many times you've messed up, does not make you a failure. It makes it an event is the failure. Can you say amen? And we're going to see in Samson's life, although he failed over and over again, although he messed up over and over again, you can be knocked down, but you don't have to be knocked out. Can you say amen? You can be knocked down, but you don't have to be knocked out. And so look at this story because we're seeing one failure after another because this guy was so highly gifted and so many things that he could do, yet he always used it in the wrong way. In Judges chapter 16, verse 23, this is the epitome of his failure. It said, now the rulers of the Philistines... They assembled now to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God Dagon has delivered us or delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So let me just give you kind of the setting of what's going on here. They're gathered in a temple, but it's not like a temple that we would think of more of a Colosseum. And uh, the seats were layered up one on top of the other. And they're bringing in Samson into this open arena. And they want to mock him. They're giving praise to their god, Dagon. 
because they're saying that Dagon had delivered Sansom into their hand. And so they just bring out, and many believe there's at least 3,000, maybe up to 5,000 people that are there that are mocking uh, Samson, mocking his God, and saying basically that their God, Dagon, is the one that delivered them. Now, this God, Dagon, is basically what Dagon looked like is he, was, he had a man's head and a fish body. A man's head and a fish body. Isn't that a mermaid? But anyway, I was thinking like a man mermaid or something like that. And so they're saying that this mermaid man has delivered Samson in their hand. I just think my God just way better than a mermaid man. But anyway, that the mermaid man somehow delivered them. And then in verse 24, it says, when the people saw Samson, they praised their God saying, our God had delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who what? It says, laid waste in our land. What are they talking about? Well, you have to remember when, when uh, Samson got really angry, he tied, he got 300 foxes. I don't know how you can do that, but he got 300 foxes. He tied, up, tied them up in pairs by their tails. How do you get 300 foxes? That's how crazy this is. Literally got 300 foxes, tied them up in pairs, put a torch between their tails, and let them run in the fields of the Philistine and burn down all of their fields. That's why they're saying, this man right here wasted our land. And then he goes, he multiplied our slain. I don't know if you ever heard that, uh, that Samson got a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. How do you do that? I mean, that's the movie, man. That's like a super. That's like a superhero, amen. He's killing all that. that that's how gifted and anointed this man. So he goes, this guy right here that did all of this stuff, uh, man, we got him. In verse twenty-five, while they were in high spirits, they said, "Bring out Samson to entertain us." So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed. For them, so basically, they got him doing this meal. They got him outside, and 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 and, and you could just imagine what a failure he must have felt. What a way! I mean, he's now, he's he's down at the bottom of the bottom, man. At the at the lowest points of his life, here this man has been gifted. Here this man has been uh, graced with favor. He's been given everything. That's why people, don't, they say, man, if I just had everything, I'd be at peace. No, if you'd have everything, man, it could possibly destroy you. There's something you shouldn't have. You say, I, I just need more of this. No, you probably shouldn't because it'll mess you up. And that's exactly, we see this in, in Samson's life. And unfortunately, a couple of ways that we respond to failure. Number one is remorse. We feel bad about it. And unfortunately, most people just stop there. They feel bad about what they've done. They say, I'm a bad person. I'm an evil person. And it begins to turn inward. I'm horrible. I'm, I'm no good. I'm the worst person that ever lived. I, I have no future. I hate myself. I hate my life. And a lot of people, they just live in remorse. Or what happens is that remorse begins to turn outward. Well, the reason I'm like this, if, I, if this wouldn't have happened in my life, if this person wouldn't have done this, if Delilah wouldn't have came in my life and she dedicated that song Fire to me and all that, I'm mad, I'm upset. I'm upset. You know, if it wasn't her nagging ways, you guys got to be careful. Don't talk, call your wife a nag, man, because 
Look at what happened. This is a true story. Judges 16, 16, he said, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until what? He was sick to death of it. Unfortunately, a lot of men know that scripture by heart. Don't ever quote that to your wife. But here he is. He, he, he's feeling remorse. He's feeling down. He's feeling depressed. His whole life is that it's basically no good. Now, let me just tell you the way we're supposed to respond. When we find ourselves that we fell, when we find ourselves at the bottom, at the lowest point in our life, when we know we've messed up, there is a big word that we need to say and we need to understand it, and it's called repentance. I said repentance. Say repentance. What does repentance mean? It means a change of mind. It means a change of heart. It means that I admit that I blew it. See, I'm going to tell you today, in our culture today, the word repentance, that, that people don't realize this is uh, one of the fundamental, fundamental concepts central to our faith is to be able to repent. See, we're obsessed about uh, having, being happy, but we're not, we're not excited about being holy. People just want, let's just talk about happy thoughts. What about some holy thoughts? Amen. Happy thoughts, you know. You know, everywhere you read, let's be happy. Let's not talk about repentance. Let's not talk about how bad we are. Let's not talk about how we need to turn back to God. Let's not talk about how we ruined our lives without God and we need him back in our lives. Man, when when you go on Twitter and you read with people, people are obsessed with, you know, you just... You just got to be you. I mean, there was, there was one t- tweet that says this, happiness begins and ends with you. Really? That's what it says. Happiness begins and ends with you. That, that, that's it? Dream it and you can be it. Well, I, I want to be the forward for the Lakers. I, I can dream it all I want, but it ain't going to happen. Right? Dream it and you'll be it. I mean, all these things. There is, there is another one that I've seen. It, it said, basically, uh, if you're good, God will follow you. I, I think that's backwards. Amen. I think that's so completely not the word of God at all. And so the Bible tells us today over and over that we need to repent. In fact, one of the first words that Jesus came is, says, repent for the kingdom of heaven as is at hand. Can you say Amen. So God is really calling us to an attitude of repentance. Now, repentance is not that God wants you to feel miserable. Repentance is not God wanting you to feel like a uh, a failure. Repentance is not trying to get you to a place of depression. But repentance is the change of mind that leads to change behavior, not just information, but transformation. We need true repentance. Can you say amen? Turning away from what I was doing wrong to turning to the direction where I need to do what is right. Jesus told the woman that was caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. Most people focus on the fact that he didn't condemn her. Thank God, that's the grace of God. But then the instruction was, go and sin no more. I have grace for you. I forgive you. I don't condemn you. But now you need to change your behavior. See, what you don't do, uh, what you don't learn from instruction, you're going to learn from experience. And that's exactly what happened to Samson. 
He wouldn't learn from the instruction of God. He wouldn't learn when God was trying to speak to him. And so he had to learn from experience. And let me just tell you what that word repent means. Or or the, the root word of repent means repent. Re means turn. And pent means highest. In other words, we're supposed to turn from our lower ways. And we're supposed to turn to God's higher ways. Can you say amen? I'm turning my life around and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to do what God instructed me to do. I'm turning my life completely over to God. See, there's a lot of things we can't undo. Did you know that? There's a lot of things you can't, you can't change what you've done in the past. You can't undo. Am I right? Have you ever, have you ever, uh, Sent a, a, a text, but you need you meant to send it to your wife, but you forgot that it was on a group text. And everybody read what you said to your wife. You ever done that? Or have you ever have you ever have you ever you know you're announcing a, a surprise birthday party and it's your family and the person that's surprised is on the text group text. We have a surprise party. She goes, "I'm here." I, I, I guess it's not a surprise anymore, right? So a group text, let me just tell you about group text. You can't undo a group text, right? You just can't undo it. Let me tell you a lot of things that we can't undo. We can't unsay a lot of things that we said. We can't unlook at a lot of things that we looked at. You can't unsleep with a lot of people that you slept with. But I can tell you today that you can repent of whatever you've done. Can you say amen? You can repent. See, that's the power of repentance. See, you can't change the past, but by, re- by your repentance, you can change the future. I said, by your repentance, you can change the future. God's looking for people that will repent. God's looking for people that will turn around. See, the spiritual enemy is always trying to lure us back into the path, trying to lure us to do things and give us direction in the wrong way. And so this is exactly what was happening with Samson. He kept getting leered in in the wrong direction. And God, again, gave him one opportunity after another to repent and to make it right. And so finally, we come here to Judges chapter 16. I need to close quickly. Verse 25. The Bible says they bring him out. They want to make sport of him. They want to make fun of him. And the Bible says when he stood among, when they stood him among the pillars. Now, this is the big temple. Again, it's like a coliseum. And these these big pillars, these supports, these columns that are there. And the Bible says, Samson said to the servant who held his hand. Remember, he's blinded. He can't see. He said, put me where I could feel the pillar that support the temple so I can lean on them. I just want to rest on them. But this is Samson's prayer of repentance. He said, God, he prayed to the Lord, oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. God, remember me. Oh, please, God, strengthen me again. This is a prayer of repentance, honestly. Please strengthen me just one more time. Thank God for the grace of God just one more time. He blown it a thousand times. He blown it a multiple times, but he's saying, God, just give me one more chance. We see a man that is broken. It's no longer about him, but it's now about God. It's not about living selfishly, but selflessly. And he's saying, you know what, man? And I believe in that prayer, somehow he kind of crossed a spiritual line because Samson stopped focusing on himself 
And he began to focus on others. He began to think about the nation of Israel. He began to think about how the enemies were gloating and how God was being mocked and how the nation was being mocked. And here he was, here he was in the temple of the enemy right there smack in the middle and he's walking in defeat. He's walking in his failure. And I believe it is the prayer of repentance at that moment. He called on God. He said, God, one more time, please. Thank God that he'll listen to that one more time. Thank God for a God of grace. Can you say amen? And he began, I believe in his heart, he was saying, God, I don't want to be the main character anymore. You need to be the main character in my story. Can you say amen? And somehow Samson was saying to God, I just need you to strengthen me one more time. I need you to give me that grace, that favor, that anointing. And see, even in our failures, God many times can still accomplish his purpose. If you're willing to surrender, if you're willing what? To repent. Can you say amen? And in verse 29, then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself uh, uh, against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. In verse 30, then Samson said, let me die uh, uh, with the enemies or with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed, look at what it says, many more when he died than when he was alive. You know, the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Samson was willing to give his life for that nation, give his life for the people. He gave it one last shot. He pushed the pillars with all of his mind. Everything came crumbling down, and it crumbled on the enemies of God. Again, it goes to show you that even in our failure, God can still use you. If you're not dead, you're not done. I said, if you're not dead, you're not done. As long as you're alive. I know you may have failed over and over again. I, may, I know you may have messed up over and over again. I know you've made promises over and over again. We serve a God that hears from heaven. He hears a prayer of repentance, and he could use your life. I believe today some of us need to push down some of the pillars in our life. We need to push apart those pillars of pride. We need to push apart those pillars of lust. We need to push apart the pillars of jealousy. We need to push apart the pillars of defeat. And we just need to call on God and say, God, help me. God, I need your strength. I need your power. I need the Holy Ghost to help me. Can you say amen? And see, he confessed it to God that day, and God gave him strength. And I want to tell you today, and I want our musicians to come up right now. We need not only to repent, but we need to walk in repentance. See, today, I'm going to open up the altars in just a moment to give us that moment of repentance where we can repent before God. Maybe we failed. Maybe we've messed up. Maybe we've made the wrong decision. Not just one, but multiple times. Maybe we keep making the same wrong decision. And God's saying, I'm still. See, we serve a patient God. The Bible says that God is patient with us, that he's willing that none perish, but that all come to repentance. We often wonder, why doesn't God just judge that person? Because God's given that person an opportunity to repent. We serve a merciful God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
That's what the book of James says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants to have mercy. God wants a heart of repentance. And so he waits. He's patient. And so all of us today, we need to follow through with our life of repentance. And say, not only just come and say, I repent. But I'm going to start doing some things. I'm going to start changing some things in my life to walk in that repentance. I'm just not going to play games with God anymore. Can you say amen? I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with God. I'm not going to be one of those Christians that show up every, you know, once, once a month to church, but you know what? I'm going to be more consistent coming to church. I'm going to make myself accountable. Can I, can I get even heavier than this? I'm not only going to confess to God, but I'm going to confess to someone else and hold myself accountable. Did you know the book of James says, confess your sins one to another? Not so, so people can have something on you, so that people can pray for you and that you could be healed and delivered of your sin. There's one thing to say it to God, but man, I think it's an even greater step when we say it to someone else and say, you know what, brother, I've messed up. Can you hold me accountable? Man, I don't want to do that again. Can I talk to you if I feel like I'm being tempted? If I feel like, man, I'm going to do this, can I give you a call now that you know my situation? Stop pretending that your marriage is doing good. Maybe it's time to ask for some prayer for your marriage. Stop pretending like everything's good. Oh, yeah, we're happy. And, man, and you're arguing every day. You're mad. You're upset. You're miserable. You're never going to heal your marriage that way. You need to repent. And then you need to confess it. And then you need to ask God to heal you. And then you need to walk out on that repentance. Some pillars need to come down tonight. Some pillars need to come down today. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.